Hallelujah. We thank God you have tuned into this message by David Entry at Caris Church. No hand can help you with the fulfillment of your destiny but the word of God. May God's hand align with you further into your destiny through this word. Colossians chapter 4, reading from verse 2 to 6. Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. Without praying also for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in bonds, that I may make it manifest as I ought to. Walk in wisdom towards them that are without, redeeming the time. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how he ought to answer every man. Let's all read the verse 6 together. Let's go. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how he ought to answer every man. Amen. Father, what we don't know, teach us. Who we are not, make us. Where we are not, take us to the glory of your name. As your word is taught, let the heavens be open. Grant us understanding and grant us illumination that the Holy Spirit only can do. Spirit of the living God, breathe upon us fresh breath from above. Just breathe your name upon us as we hear your word. Heal the sick. Bring direction to the confused. Let the heavens be open. Let your voice be made very clear. Oh Lord, speak. Because when your word is read, you get to speak. Speak as I teach your word. Thank you. We reject opinions of men and we embrace the truth and grace of God's word. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, please be seated. Well, going straight to the text. As we all know, Paul, the apostle, always starts his teaching and his submission by helping us to appreciate our position in Christ first. Then he helps us to understand the benefits that we have been brought into. Then it goes on to tell us how we should live in the light of the position we have been brought in and the benefits that have been loaded into our life. So what we ought to do and how to do it. So he tells us where we are in Christ, what is available for us in Christ, and how to live based on that. So what we should do and how to do what we should do. So we, we can see in Colossians is exactly what he's been doing. It tells us who Christ is just to refute all kinds of ideas because it's very easy to project your pre-existing ideas onto the scripture or in Christianity. So if when they say God from your worldview before you became Christ, God is someone with three heads and that's all you know since you became aware of anything God, then when you come into Christ and the pastor is saying, God is here, your mind is something with three heads are here. <laughs> you understand that? So then we have to teach you and help you to understand who God, when I say God, what, I do, what do I actually mean? 
When I come to church and I say God, please don't take it off in an offensive way. I don't mean Allah, okay? When I say God, it's different, it's different. It's different from what might be called. So um, in, in certain, in India, in different communities, in Africa, African traditional religion, when they say God, and they have the definition of God and his or that God's characteristics. So when you come into Christ, chances are that you might think that it's that same God. So when the Bible says God, it's that same God. There are times that it might look like that same God by virtue of maybe the God that you have been taught is one God who rules over everything. He made everything. So it sounds like that's the same God of the Bible. But when you get closer in scripture, scripture, God begins to try to explain himself and define himself so clearly that when someone also comes to you and says, there's only one God now, and they begin to explain and define the God, you realize that it's kind of different from this one God I'm talking about. The God of Christianity is the God who has a son. It's very important. The God who has a son, who became a man or a human being and died for the sins of human beings so that those who believe in him also end up becoming sons. So he had only one son, sacrificed the son and harvest many sons in church. <laughs> That, that's the Christian God. So that when I begin to pray and I say, God, Father, I'm talking to him as a son. From the position of a son. Maybe you might talk to him from a position of a creator. That's fine. I also relate to him from the position of a, he's a creator. But he's not just a creator. He's also my dad. It changes the dynamics. That's what makes Christianity a different ballgame altogether. So then it's necessary for us to be taught constantly what it means to be a Christian and what the Bible means when it says something. Because the chances are that when you, you might read the Bible and see something and you assume a meaning for it, which is not the right meaning. And so that's why basics of Christianity are so important, like A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H. IJKL, you know, that the basics, the alphabet, you need to know that, other than that, your ability to read will be compromised. <laughs> or one plus one is two, seven plus eight is 15. You know, you have to just, the basics, before you go on to calculus and arithmetics and whatever, circuitry and those things. Because other than that, they ask you four plus seven and you end up saying 47. <laughs> in Christianity, it is imperative to get the basics, right? So instead of pastors just getting so busy promising you things that you need, it's part of the inheritance we have in Christ, but it's more crucial to teach people their position in Christ. That's where we begin from. And then when you become aware of your position in Christ. That's what, then you can talk about your, your rights in the spirit. But if you don't know your position, demons will ask you, who are you? And you don't, oh, sorry. 
You say, oh, sorry, I didn't know that. I'm not supposed to command you. <laughs> Praise God. So Paul starts by telling us our position and then telling us the benefits. And then telling us now, because of your position and benefits, how are you supposed to live? And it doesn't go silent on family relationships, corporate relationships, social relationships. Because that Christianity that cannot be lived in the context of a society and family is not a proper Christianity. It must be lived in the context of being among people. That's why Jesus didn't just jump and come like an E.T. He started with family. In Luke chapter 2, verse 47, he was missing. Joseph and his mother went looking for him. When they found him, they said, son, why have you done this to us? Then he said, I must be about my father's business. And the Bible said, from then, he went with them and submitted himself to them. And in Luke chapter 3, everybody knew him to be Joseph's son, the carpenter. Joseph's son. Verse 23, I think so, as it was supposed. Yeah, being as was supposed, the son of Joseph, you know. So even when he started ministry, they knew that he had a father, he had a son, he had family, to the extent that one day some people said, but is it not, in fact, the same Luke chapter four, when he read the scripture, they said, but is this not the carpenter's son? We, we know his, his, his brother, they mentioned his family. So why? Because godliness is supposed to live in a context, in a community. So God himself became a community. No, he became, sorry, he is a community. Self-contained community. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Community life. So then Paul, after you are a Christian, much of your time in church is not just to be receiving miracles. (laughs) Oh. Everything. In fact, much of your time in church is to be serving the saints and growing in your knowledge. Miracles and testimonies, they just are part of our heritage. So it's your inheritance. It's like, I know some of the guys put a lot of shampoo in their beard, but it's not necessarily the shampoo that makes it grow. It's just, it's just my inheritance, my, herit- my heritage as male may allow me to have beard, may allow me to have some deep voice, and may allow my hair to be bored. It's, 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 it's maleness. So when you are in Christ, a Christian, there are some, heri- you, 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 are, you, you are brought into an inheritance. And some of the inheritance is some of the testimonies, the miracles, the healings. It's our heritage in Christ. But sometimes if you are not taught to appropriate it you might be, you might have it, but never be able to use it. That's why sometimes teachings are important. But much of the teachings is to be helping us to discover who Christ really is and who we are in Christ and how we can serve the saints in Christ. So Paul then goes on to talk about how Christ should look in a husband, how Christ should look in a wife, he should look like in a wife, how Christ should look like in children, people who are under parental control or relationship with father-son. How Christ should look in a father. How Christ should look in an employer and an employee or a slave and a slave master. Because those days, it was part of the community. I know sometimes people have a problem with 
will say, but how can the Bible mention slavery and Paul was addressing slaves? It takes Christianity to abolish slavery because slavery is just human. So it says that there's no slave there. That's Christianity. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 10, it says that Christ is all in all. It levels the playing field where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free. But Christ is all in all. When you come to church, your value has nothing to do with your clothing. Nothing, nothing to do with your educational status, your social status. Whether you have money, you don't have money. That's why we don't arrange the seats based on social class or what money you have or male or female. All those things are not necessary. The point I'm making is that we don't bring social class into church. It's never Christianity. Racial class is never Christianity. Christianity has not got to anything to do with race, gender, status. For Christ, it's all about Christ. Amen. Amen. So he then teaches them how um, people should relate in the employment arena. Then he comes to where he said, now pray for us. Pray for us. Someone say pray for us. <laughs> Someone say pray for us. You like the recap, it's amazing. Pray for us. And meanwhile, praying also for us. That's very interesting that a man of God of his teacher is asking for prayer. Asking for prayer. In Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1, it says, pray for us. They finally, brethren, pray for us. But what, I, what gets my attention is their prayer topic. Pray for us. Someone say, pray for. Pray for me. Pray for me. <laughs> he said, in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20, he picks it up on it again. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20, it says that, and for me, that's talking about prayer. For me. So pray for me. Okay, let's go to 18 so it can make sense. Is that okay? He said, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. Be watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplications for all saints. Then he said, and for me, pray for me. That utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. I want to speak about the mystery of the gospel. I am in chains. Look at verse 20. I am in chains, I'm in bonds. says that, for which I am an ambassador in chains. This man is a very interesting guy. He, a prisoner, he says, I'm an ambassador. You might think I'm a prisoner. But me, I know I'm an ambassador. The only thing is that my ambassadorial status is an ambassador in chains. <laughs> I represent a kingdom. Even though I'm in chains. There's a place he spoke about for which reason, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 9, actually he spoke about being in bonds and chains again. He says that for which I, I suffer trouble as an evildoer. Not that I'm an evildoer. The word of God. The word of God. People handle some of us who are Christians like we are evildoers. Because they can't stand the word of God in our mouth. They can't stand the Bible says. They can't stand the scriptures. So they enjoy treating us as evildoers. So he says that 
Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 9. For which reason I suffer as an evildoer, even unto the point of imprisonment. He hasn't done anything wrong. Is that the word of God? All right, let's get it within the context. Verse 8. Is that okay? I hope you don't mind. Reading more of the Bible. Verse 8. Remember that Jesus Christ, the seed of David, was raised from the dead according to this thing I've been preaching. I don't have anything to say. The gospel I preach, it is, this is the gospel. That Jesus Christ is a human being, seed of David, but was raised from the dead according to my gospel, for which this gospel has put me in trouble. For which I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of imprisonment, but the word of God cannot be changed. <laughs> Hallelujah. The word of God cannot be changed. So he's saying that I'm an ambassador in chains, but still my ambassadorial status is relevant. It's relevant, it's active, and I'm working with it. Paul suffered several imprisonments, or he actually didn't, he wasn't bothered about being in prison. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 7, chapter 1, verse 13, chapter 1, verse 14, chapter 1, Verse 17, he makes references to his being in chains or some translation says he's in bones. Philippians chapter 1 verse 7. Even as it is meet for me to think this of you all because I have you in my heart in as much as both in my bones. He acknowledged that he was in bones and in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel, you are particular as well. He, he said, in my bones, you are part of it. Look at verse 13. Philippians chapter 1, verse 13. So that my bones in Christ are manifested in all the palace and in all the place. Verse 14. And many of the brethren in the Lord waxing confident by my bones. This is amazing. And he's, he's happy because you are putting me in prison, but he's giving some people audacity. Many of the brethren are waxing confidence by my bones. Let's look at verse 19. One preach Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bones. Some people were also preaching so that this guy will be more in prison. <laughs> to make his imprisonment even more painful. But this guy is so sold out for God that he said, whether they preach out of envy, out of the, I don't care. What I care is Christ has been preached and that's what matters to me. What, what, what then? Notwithstanding, every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And in this, this is what I rejoice. My enjoyment, my, my happiness is that at least somebody is preaching Christ. Hallelujah. He found himself in bones, every now and then. He was a man in chains, but the word of God in his mouth was not changed. In Acts chapter 20, verse 23, he said that um, the Holy Ghost has actually revealed. <laughs> the Holy Spirit has said, I have a testimony. The Holy Spirit said, I have a testimony. And every city he goes, Holy Spirit said, I have a testimony. And what's the testimony? Chains and tribulations await Paul. <laughs> Can you imagine? Every city he goes, Holy Spirit shows up. He says, I have a testimony. <laughs> and testimonies, his testimonies are chains and tribulations are wait for. Look at the next verse. He said, but I, I, I can't be bothered. I'm not bothered. Can you imagine? Holy Spirit is giving such a testimony. He said, I'm not bothered. 
I'm not bothered. Because the Holy Spirit didn't say, don't go. He's just telling you, this is what is awaiting you. He said, I'm not bothered. I'm not bothered. Paul saw being in chains several times. And now, in Colossians, he's sending a letter from prison. He's sending a letter from his imprisonment to people who are free. And he's asking them, after teaching them all these powerful things, he's asking them, pray for me. That should be released. No, 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 no. Pray for me that to be easier. My sentence will be minimized. No, 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 no. Pray for me that I will preach more. <laughs> he said, meanwhile, pray also for us that God will open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ. Because this whole thing about Christ is so much a mystery that it takes a certain boldness. It takes a certain audacity to keep because people will tell you you are bigot. People are likely to tell you you are a bigot or you are a little-minded person or narrow-minded, your mind is not broad. People whose minds need brainwashing in the washing machine of the word of God. So he said, pray for us that we can preach the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Wow. To speak the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Let's, so first of all, he speaks about prayer. And let's go to the next verse. Let me show you something before. And then that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. There is a way you have to speak the gospel. But sometimes you need prayer to be able to do that. There is a way you have to speak. You ought to. There's an ought-to-ness in communicating the gospel. But there is prayer that is required because under certain circumstances, your optoness will vanish. Yeah. Like some time ago, when the crisis accentuated and you can tell there's an unrest in town. So we need bonus. That's why we need to pray for one another. Don't only pray for pastors. Pray for yourself too that you'll be able to be bold to take a stand that can help humanity. Take a stand that can bring God into the lives of others. So he says that Paul's point number one is that we should pray or talk to God. So after showing us how we should relate to one another, he goes on to how we should talk to God. But it didn't end there. And then he goes on to talk about how we should talk to people who don't know God. So, let's look at verse 5. Let's all read it together. Let's go. Read it out loud again. Walk in wisdom. Wow. This is interesting. Towards who? We have to find the context. Who are those outside? Who are those? Outside the country? <laughs> Who are those outside? Let's see if any other translation will render it differently. Amplify. Conduct yourself with wisdom in your interactions with outsiders. Outsiders. Not infidel, but outsiders. How you should 
conduct your life towards. So there is a way a believer is supposed to conduct his or her life towards people who are outside. Let's look at the American Standard Version, then New Living Translation. Conduct yourself with wisdom towards outsiders. New Living Translation. Live wisely amongst those who are not believers. It's making it very clear. I think message might even make it clearer. <laughs> I think I like this one. I think I like this one. <laughs> this is a very interesting one. Message, you tell somebody, use your head. <laughs> so the amplifier says, use your head as you live and work among outsiders. We live a, Christianity doesn't mean go and stay in the jungle. Withdraw yourself from society. And say, as for me, it's just all these people are demons. Maybe you are being demon influenced. Because Christianity must be lived within a context of society. If your Christian testimony cannot show in your family, you have work to do. If your Christian testimony cannot show with your, at your workplace, you have, I'm not, that's, that's, that's why Christianity is not about wearing cross or wearing chains or wearing religious symbols. The strength of Christianity is not in symbols. So you can ban cross, but you can't ban my, my, my call. When you come into contact with me, there's something about me that is supposed to minister Christ to you. Is it good to wear a cross? Oh, yes, if you get a chance to wear. But it's not a big deal if you don't wear a cross. Some of you came, the pastor was not wearing a cross. You feel like, oh, is he a pastor? <laughs> the strength of Christianity is not in relics. It's not in symbols. It's not in... Caps is not in, I, 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 I can wear jeans. I can't even wear tracksuits and preach and it doesn't spoil the gospel. So those of you who think you need suits in order to be in church, it's not, it's, it's not, no, no, it's not true. You don't need suits to be in church. Yes, I like suits. I like suits. Uh, you like it too? Yeah, you like it. So we just like it. Some of us like it. And some of the guys who God has brought to church never got a chance to wear suits. Yeah, only tracksuits. Yeah, only tracksuits. <laughs> and selling all kinds of things on the street. So we are just trying to make people city worthy. But some people, you wore suits and you every Monday, Tuesday, right? Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, suited. There's nothing wrong with what you wear as long as it's just decent. Because the Christianity is not in symbols and looks. There's no way you can look so Christian. <laughs> Christianity is not in looks. It is in being. When people interact with you, they find out who you are. So first of all, those who live with you must be the people who must testify about the authenticity of your Christianity. Your husband. That's why it's that your wife and all those people. Then now it says that those who are outside, those who are outside, let's go, First Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 12, look at it, First Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 12, it says that you walk properly towards those who are outside. That you mean, there's a way, we, there, so we have to explore this proper walking for the believer. You ask for me, it's between me and God, it's just between me and God. And now, your relationship with God is demanding something to affect your relationship with others. 
So, he says that, that you walk properly towards those who are outside. Now, I'm talking about the outside. There are people who are outside. Jesus actually spoke, spoke about them. In Mark chapter 4, again, Mark chapter 4, verse 11, Jesus said to those who are outside, these things are spoken in parables. Yeah. And he said to them, this is Jesus speaking, to you it has been given to know the mystery. Say the mystery. You remember Paul? The mystery. The mystery of the kingdom of God. But to those who are outside, they are outsiders. It's not, it's not, it doesn't mean they are lower in status, second class. Human. No, it's not God. Just that they are not in Christ. I'm not talking about church. There are people in church, but they are outside, who are outsiders. There are people, they are, sometimes listen to interviews. And you find out that there's a preacher who is an outsider. Yeah. Wow. He's a preacher. He's a priest. He's a clergyman, but he's an outsider. He's not in Christ. So it's not so much about church, generally speaking, unless we are narrowing the definition of church to what the Bible actually defines as church. But outsiders are simply people who are not in Christ. So there are people who are not in Christ you'll be dealing with regularly. That you, we actually tend to meet more people who are not in Christ than people who are in Christ, right? And actually, depending on where you live, you meet more people who are not in Christ. And the Bible is now telling us that you have to talk to God, but also have to be wise in dealing with and talking to people who are not in God, people who are not in Christ, people who are outsiders. So you are, that's why you are, you are, you are demon-possessed. So, there's a way to speak to people. There is a way to speak to people and not necessarily offend them before you can affect them. There's a way. That's why even all of us pastors must be careful. You not just open your mind and tell somebody, use your head. Because the Bible said it, but it doesn't mean you should say it directly like that. <laughs> So there is a way to relate with people. And he says that wisdom, put the scripture on the screen again in Acts, sorry, Colossians 4, 5. Let's all read it out together, please. So now, the way the message Bible says that use your head, the message says use your head as you live. In other words, be very much aware of who you are talking to, who you are dealing with, what might be acceptable, what might not be acceptable. When someone comes to you and asks you a question, let me say this, this is very important. When somebody asks you a question, especially with regards to your religious life or Christian life, when somebody asks you a question, don't be too quick to answer the question, but be wise enough to answer the questioner there's a difference between answering a question and answering a questioner. Because somebody can ask you a question with a pre-existing understanding. And you have to be able to be wise enough to answer, to cover his pre-existing understanding so that you can still give the appropriate answer. Because sometimes someone can ask you a question, so what, what do you think, or a child asks you a question. You can't use all kinds of theological jargons to answer a child. You might answer the question, but end up not answering the questioner. So in our dealings and our interactions with people, with your boss, when you are sending a message to your ex about your current state in Christ, and they ask you a question. I've met sisters who said, 
they told somebody, no, now I'm a Christian. He said, oh, why can't I see you again? And she answered, no, now I'm a Christian. And he said, but it doesn't matter. And the guy was able to convince them, giving points after points, why it doesn't matter, and giving statistics why it does not matter. Why are you giving offering in church? Because they say we should give our money. Oh. <laughs> oh. Do, do you understand what I'm saying? Why are you giving build me a house? Because the church wants to build a building in Kensington. Let's look at the text again. It says, walk in wisdom towards those who are without. Message. I've actually for today because it has a way of saying it those who are uh, among outsiders don't miss a trick yes make the most of every sometimes someone will tell you something that I don't know the doctor said I've got I'm about to die don't miss that opportunity don't maybe you might not pray for healing you might not be able to heal them, but save them before they die. They might not be telling you, please, advise me about what to do. They might be hoping that, can you tell me something about life after death? Yeah. Can you tell me? Then they might not say it directly. That's why you don't have to answer a question, but answer a question. In First Peter chapter 3, verse 15, it says that, be careful to give an answer to anyone who asks you for their hope. But sanctify the Lord in your heart and be ready always to give an answer to everyone that asks. Give me New King James. Everyone that asks you for a, watch this. What are they asking? They have seen something in you, and it's making them. They look at your life. They look at. They listen to your language. They look. They observe the way you react to problems. You react to difficulties. You react to offenses. You react to annoying people. They observe the way you react to situation. Even when they offended you so bad, the way you reacted after a time, they may ask you a question. And the question is not asked, "Why did you react this way?" But they are asking a question, and the question, the premise of it is, they've seen something in you. They have seen something in you. So what they have noticed in you have caused them to ask you a question. And the question is not a general question. It's related to the kind of hope that is in you. Outsiders must see the kind of hope that is in us because the hope in, in us makes us live a certain lifestyle. So be ready to give an answer. Seize the moment. Seize the opportunity. You are working with somebody. And the two of you lose your, God forbid, you lose your job. Similar situation. But don't cry so much that I'm dead. I'm dead. And the one who rather doesn't, is not supposed to be living, is consoling you that don't worry. Don't worry. You have been preaching to this person that with, with, uh, I can do all things through Christ who strengthen me. You have been preaching to this person that I live by faith and not by sight. Jesus is mine. And you are put on your desk, every computer, the Lord with God, all things are possible. And now you lost your job and you are crying, I don't know, I don't know. And then the one who, has not been, who doesn't even know that with God, all things are possible, is now consoling you. Wow. 
it can happen. Please don't let us behave like it's very remote from us. Sometimes we all have different ways of handling crisis. But the point is that people must notice something in you by the way you handle life, by the way you handle difficulties, by the way you handle breakthroughs, the way you even have the promotion, the way you behave at parties. In times of success and excitement, how you celebrate your success must point to people that there is something in you that they don't have. The Christian life must be lived in the context of a community. And that's where you actually, we begin to beam out. And the community starts with the church community. But it doesn't end with the church community. It goes out because there are people who are outside the church community. They have to, someone put this, one day put it this way. He said, unbelievers won't read the Bible. You are the Bible they will read. Your life is their Bible. Don't be telling them what the Bible says you shouldn't do. Just live a life that will make them ask questions and not skeptical questions. But I'm talking about seeking. They want answers. They see something in you which they realize they need. They want. When you are working with God, people must see. You don't have to be wearing things and dry lip and everyday fasting to look like. It's not necessary. It is boring. No one wants that. No one wants this boring life in the name of God. That's why many people, when we were children, you went to church and you slept throughout or played football because what was going on was just very boring. But we have some younger people here. They are very much engaged. Come to KP2 and see. Don't make the word of God boring. There's nothing. Read the scriptures. From Genesis to Revelation, anybody who met God never said it was boring. Nobody met God and said, oh, this is boring. It was very engaging. All right, so (laughs) I have to end now, so let me run up. You have, it says that, seize the moment. Live in a way that wisdom towards outsiders. And seize the moment. Seize every opportunity you get to give an answer, to minister grace. Verse 6. He said, let, can I end on verse 6? I won't say too much about that. He said, let, look at verses. Let your speech always be with grace. Yes, which seasoned with salt. Grace connotes how much love. Salt is the truth. Don't be all love and there's no truth. Don't be all truth and not graceful. Let your speech, when you open your mouth, let your speech be with grace first and seasoned with salt that you may know how you ought to you, you, you see this? You see this? Is it okay if I pick it up from here next week? Because there's a lot packed in this. But my time will not permit me. So I want my speech to be with grace and seasoned with salt. So as I use my head to finish this message, did you receive something? Thank you for listening to this message by David Entry. We pray you have been strengthened and enlightened. You can connect to David Entry on all relevant social media platforms, 
including Instagram and LinkedIn. You can also hear more messages from David Entry on all relevant streaming platforms and the Carriage Church app. Don't forget to like and share the message. Be blessed.